This is Portland Conversations, and I am Jason Allen, and today the conversation rolls on about the upcoming Portland elections. And we are here today with Portland City Commissioner Position 2 candidate, Tara Hurst. Tara, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we got a lot of issues to cover in such a short amount of time, so let, let's get into it. Um, I think today, it's, as we see ourselves going through this COVID crisis, uh, the definite need for strong and uh, compassionate leadership uh, tell us a little bit about how the Portland uh, City Commissioners, how they can help uh, not only lead, but sort of comfort and smooth the public uh, a- as we really move through this uh, uh, this unique time in history. That's a great question. Um, yeah, leadership matters always, but especially now and especially in times of crisis. We've seen that throughout history. Um, and ensuring that you can come to leadership with empathy and understanding and recognizing that we're all experiencing this differently, but we're all experiencing it. Um, And some of us are experiencing it in much more heightened fashion and, um, and others of us are are being able to kind of deal with the bumps, but um, still have paychecks and housing and, and all of those components. And I think that's really important as we move forward to keep remembering that and to keep uh, being kind and patient and thoughtful with folks. And and coming into City Hall and being in government and leadership is even more important to do that so that folks feel like not only do they have somebody who's in there representing them, but they have somebody who actually understands what it's like to struggle um, and get through the other end. Um, you know, what a city commissioner can do as well is you need somebody who's actually has the experience and understanding of what City Hall does and doesn't do, um, and what it can and can't do, right? And I think we push all of those components, and we're going to have to as we respond to the biggest uh, crisis that that my generation, I would say, has faced before. Um, And so I think that it's really critical to understanding how City Hall works, what the different bureaus do, what what they have capacity for, and at first, really understanding and, and making sure that our employees, because we are a huge employer, um, feel safe, um, understand what's next, um, and have kind of a, a continuity of care and a continuity of understanding what, what is going to happen and, and are their jobs safe. Um, that's really important if, because they're going to be our first responders in most of the issues and most of taking care of and tackling the biggest issues that the city's facing. And if they're not feeling secure and confident in, in their own leadership and their leadership's leadership, uh, then everything starts crumbling from there. Right. And right. so it's really important. Um, and I, I, you know, I've done this in multiple spaces in, in different positions, not through this kind of a crisis, but through big thorny issues. And it really is about keeping your humanity, 
um, keeping your eye on what's next, doing the next right thing and the thing that's right in front of you. And sometimes, especially in City Hall, it's about the next three or four crises in front of you and making sure that you're able to uh, to go at it with a steady hand um, and, and really understanding all the different aspects. And also recognizing that there are times that we're gonna make mistakes and to, if we make them, make them quickly. Yeah. Fix it and move on, um, because those are that's also important. I, I've seen a lot of times where uh, people get almost analysis paralysis and aren't able to make the decisions that are necessary because they're too worried about making the wrong decision. And I, some of that can come in terms of you know we put out a fund for small businesses and uh, we may only just do a little bit at a time or, or we only op open it up for a few uh, and recognizing, okay, we needed to do a lot more at a time. Uh, I would say on a more macro level, it's probably the unemployment and be benefits that we're, we're seeing uh, with so many people waiting online and on hold for days at an end just to see if they're gonna be able to pay their bills. And then the other time is spent waiting and talking to their credit card companies and their utilities and their housing to allow, to let them know that they're not going to be able to pay it because they haven't gotten their unemployment benefits. That is not a way to help create a safe and secure society, right? That is a way to just be living in trauma and stress at all times. And we know that that's not good for folks. Talk to me about how the recovery can be more equitable uh, towards uh, really the people who are going to need it most, right? Not the one top 1%. Uh, or, you know, the bi businesses who have that padding anyway that may not need the sort of intensive uh, support that just the, the uh, average uh, Jack and Jill household, you know, family of four are going to need uh, during this time. Uh, talk a little bit about that. So, you know, I think one of the biggest pieces that we need to keep, um, and government's not necessarily always great at this, but we need to be flexible and we need to be um, willing to uh, meet people where they're at. So everybody's gonna have different needs, just like we started this conversation by saying that everybody's impacted differently in this issue um, and through this crisis. And so the recovery is gonna be very different for different folks. And so to me, it's about how do we streamline, and this is where the 1% can be helpful, is can they they have the resources both um, financially and also a lot of the talent and professional resources to help build some of the systems that we're going to need to make sure that that family of four is getting the food that they need, the rent assistance that they need, the utility bills paid, whatever it is that's going to be necessary. And then in the same breath, have the space to be able to go um, if they're employment ended because a business had to close down, how do we get that business up as fast as possible? So they are back hiring folks and how do we incentivize those small businesses and the medium employers um, getting their folks back to work as quickly as possible and really focusing on, um, on making sure that our unemployment rates, they are gonna be devastating, they already are. How do we get that back up and the trajectory up again? Um, and then, you know, the other piece that we're seeing that is not surprising for most of us, but is just as tragic, is that this is affecting and impacting our um, communities of color and our immigrant communities so much harder than it is for my family. 
Um, and that's, you know, that is institutional racism. Those are systemic racism that is built into this. And how do we, it seems like our safety nets and kind of the veils are starting to be lifted because of all of this. The safety nets are, we're seeing just have these massive holes that a lot of us have seen for decades. Um, but now the rest of the a country is seeing it and they're starting to see it from their neighbors or, you know, folks that they knew that they were close to. And, you know, we, we're going to absolutely have to address a lot of those inequities and those, um, those frontline communities that are hurting in a way that a lot of us just don't even um, understand and work with them uh, because they're the ones that know what they need in order to get back up and running, whether that's, you know, opening up their business again, whether that's keeping them um, housed, uh, you know, that's that's who I think that our city really needs to make sure that we are wrapping our arms around and really making sure that we're getting their needs met um, and being flexible and understanding that that need is gonna be different than, you know, uh, another family's need. Um, and, and they're not just, it's not just a financially crippling, but it's also uh, folks are dying um, at, at higher rates. So that means that they either know someone or it's a family member that has um, passed because of this disease. And all of those kind of compound on top of each other. Um, the other community that we need to be really keeping an eye on uh, is a community that I'm, you know, I, I represent in terms of the recovery community. I've been clean and sober for 23 years. And a lot of what we do and how we stay sober is through community. Um, and there's a lot of folks who have gotten clean uh, maybe right before the uh, this hit or folks who are noticing that they really need to and they want to right now. And, you know, our, our suicide rates, our mental health, um, all of the things that are generally silent are really coming out more um, and exacerbated by this. So I think that, you know, there's, uh, there are things that the federal government that we know they won't do, but they need to be doing um, to help us in those spaces. So that's healthcare, that's access to mental health care, that's access to addiction treatment. Um, and, you know, Oregon is at the bottom of access to treatment. And we are one of the top uh, rates of addiction in the, st in the country. Uh, so that's, you know, that's a place that we're going to need to also start. But we also, you know, I was proud of the legislature and it was because of the hard work of um, groups like CAUSA and uh, the Farm Workers Union, PECUN um, and APANO and, and a lot of really, you know, incredible community organizations who fought hard with the legislature and the legislature passed um, in this last emergency budget was money to go to our uh, our worker relief fund, because if you don't have documentation, even though if you're paying taxes, you're not getting any of the relief uh, checks or the stimulus checks. Um, and you can only imagine if all your money was just completely turned off. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, there's so many inequities that are now glaring even more uh, that we're going to absolutely have to address and address it in a way by not top down, but community to community, what do you need and how do we make that happen as quick as possible? And working with our philanthropy community and our business community and our corporate community to get those resources to them. This is an all hands on deck. Nobody uh, gets to sit this one out. Uh, and I don't think anybody wants to. 
I mean, the, the thing about crisis is it brings people together. And that's what we've seen in Portland. That's what we've seen across the globe uh, are these really incredible stories of hope and, and community. And so, you know, we, we have a lot to be grateful for and proud of, and we have a lot to fix. Um, and we can do that moving through this, but my, you know, my, my top priority is making sure that no more of our families fall through the cracks. These aren't cracks. These are gaping holes that we've created as a society, um, that it's our job and coming on all of us. Right. Yeah. And one of, uh, the kind of, uh, glaring spotlight now that we've seen through this crisis, uh, especially here in Portland, uh, has to be, uh, the you know affordable housing situation uh because uh, even though uh financial impact is is just so severe uh rent still continues right i mean it doesn't stop uh and families are going to find themselves behind the eight ball even more i mean if you're paycheck to paycheck before i can't imagine the sort of stress and uh uh, what's going to need to get ahead of this. Uh, and I'm worried about, you know, the prices of Portland, the housing are, you know, are skyrocketing as it is, uh, where, you know, what happens and what, what can the city commission do, uh, to, uh, um, help keep it at a, a, uh, a reachable, uh, level for people. So I think there's two things there. One is the immediate, so what can we do to help families now and for the next six months or 12 months? Um, because I have the same concern. Even if you prolong my rent and push it out for six months, if I still have to pay it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to do that. Right. I wouldn't be able to add another $800 a month, $500 a month to my family budget and not have to cut something else. That's just as critical. So, that's one component. And so I do think that we need to do a moratorium on rents for, um, for families that, and for folks that lost their job. Um, and I would need to look at the, uh, the data and all of the information of how do we do that in the most responsible and responsive way possible. Uh, but that also leaves um, a lot of families and uh, some of our seniors if they are the landlords to those renters, what do we do for, for them where they have to pay their mortgage and are also in the same boat? A lot of folks are on fixed incomes. They may have one property that they're able to rent out at a reasonable rate. We can't, you know, we, they can't be part of the devastation of this either. So I think that we also need to be working with our lenders um, and financial institutions to make sure that there are some stop gaps there. There's plenty of bailouts happening. We should be bailing out um, our our people. Uh, we saw what happens when you bail out Wall Street first, um, and we're we're seeing a little bits of it, you know, with airlines laying off their workers but getting these billions of dollars um, in bailouts, and that's just unacceptable. Um, you know, so the there's the immediate crisis of how do we keep people in their homes, and that should be our our focus is if you're, you have a roof over your head, it's our job to make sure that we are keeping that roof over your head. So uh, city commissioners, um, if you're in charge of the housing bureau, you know, can do a lot of the work through the housing bureau um, and work with them. It's also about just legislating and making sure, you know, I don't wanna see evictions in the winter months. Um, what are some thoughtful ways that other cities are grappling with this? We're not the only ones grappling with this. 
So let's work with our other cities, um, whether it's on the West Coast um, or just looking at best practices across the country of who's doing it well and steal their ideas right, <laughs> and yeah. take them to Portland, right? Um, and for affordable housing, you know, one of the reasons I'm running is because I've really seen this kind of, we don't seem to be treating a lot of the crisis that we're in as crisis and they are becoming almost um, like we're on cruise control. And what I mean by that is we're not building enough units. We're not ensuring that enough of them are affordable. We have really smart people working in all of these spaces. And it's just about making sure that you're pushing and pushing and pushing until you hear, okay, that's as far as and fast as we can go um, with quality or safety or anything else being in jeopardy. We obviously don't want to do that. Uh, when I was um, chief of staff to Mayor Hales, um, and as deputy, that's when we created the, uh, we declared the housing emergency. And that was exactly to help this issue and alleviate this issue. It was about uh, reducing barriers and red tape um, and making sure that, you know, development could happen and, and affordability could be there. It was also to ensure that, you know, we were running into problems with being able to open up enough shelter beds um, and safe, safe places to sleep. Uh, for our most vulnerable Portlanders, um, the folks that are sleeping on the sidewalks. So those are in place. We still have, uh, the mayor has continued to um, declare the emergency. I, we just need to see the same uh, tenacity and, and, and push for making sure that these things are happening at a much faster speed because we're in a crisis. I know it's a long crisis, but it's still a crisis. And that means that you try things. And that goes back to the before. You try things. You do pilot projects. You know, one of the, um, the projects that I worked on and pushed uh, right before I left uh, the Mayor, Mayor Hales's administration or right before it ended was the Kenton Women's Village. And that was a really, um, you know, we kept being told it can't work, it won't happen, we can't do it. And instead of just listening to that and moving to the next project, I pushed and said, well, why not? Let's do it. Let's go find the property. Okay, why not this property? Let's go talk to the, the Neighborhood Association. Okay, the Neighborhood Association said if we do these things, they would be interested. Let's go figure out those things. Um, it's a lot of work. And it takes a lot of political capital. But the Kenton Women's Village is a really great um, example of one working well. Why haven't we done more? Why is that the only one up? If everybody agrees that it's well run, it's, it's helping women, um, and, it's, and it's a model that we could replicate, my first 90 days, I want to put at least 10 out there. So yeah. that's the kind of, you know, you, you got to be willing to push yeah. until it's uncomfortable and then push a little bit more. That's fantastic. Um, now, when we, when we talked, you mentioned a little bit about the homeless um, and the homeless situation uh, moving forward through this and in times of crisis, you know, thinking outside the box a little bit and, and what can we do? Uh, what can you see uh, the city of Portland uh, and, and the commissioners do uh, to address a problem that may be because of this crisis actually become a little, little bit worse. Oh yeah. It's going to be, I can't imagine it not being a lot worse. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, part of it is, is we have to stop anybody from becoming homeless from this crisis. And that's why I'm putting so much emphasis there. Um, because we already have a, a chronically homeless population uh, that needs a lot of care and, um, and thoughtful recovery for. We also don't want other families or new folks to fall into homelessness where all of a sudden they've been traumatized and are, are living in that world. They're already probably at the stress if that's their brink of where they're headed. Um, so the city commissioners, um, along with the county and the state, when we get money from the federal government, when our you know when the that comes through, the city has reserves. Those reserves should be going towards that. Um, and then the state, when we get the stimulus package from the state, we need to be addressing to make sure that we are keeping folks from going into homelessness. For our folks that are already homeless, um, you know, when it, this started, I went to Street Roots and and. Um, and volunteered for you know Friday morning, uh, filling the pots with coffee as as vendors were waiting around the building to uh, pick up their papers. Some of them didn't know that they weren't getting the papers because we weren't able they weren't able to hand out papers anymore with the health crisis. Um, you, that's where you see just how vulnerable folks are. There's not access to water to wash their hands. They can't do the things that we take for granted in a lot of our spaces in our daily lives. Um, and the gratitude that I saw from the vendors to Street Roots um, for handing out 10 to $40 of stipends for their papers was um, inspiring and heartbreaking because it, it showed just how desperate we've allowed people to get. Um, when you hear a Blanche house saying, we're not going to have enough food. We've never seen this many meals served and this isn't sustainable, but we're going to do everything we possibly can. Mm. Um, it's up to us and it's up to leadership to make sure that the food is there, that we're listening to our community partners. And when it comes to homelessness, you know, one of the things that it's not the only reason contributing to homelessness by any stretch but it is a component, which is our access to addiction and mental health services are lacking severely in this city. And one of the reasons I'm running is because I went through it personally with my family when I was trying to get um, somebody I care deeply about into a sober house after they finish treatment. What people don't recognize if you haven't been through the process or you haven't been through all the services is there's a continuum of care that really takes years to be able to get to, and not always, it's not guaranteed, to get to some sort of long-term recovery. Um, and we don't have that set up here in Portland. Uh, we don't have it in the state. So there are things that we need to be doing if we are expecting folks to um, get what they need in order to thrive. It's our job in my mind to ensure that we have those systems available. Um, if the systems are there and they, and they still don't want the help, that's okay. Uh, but we need the systems there. So it's like sending a kid to school, but without any books or, or educators, you can't just expect them to learn, right? Uh, we need to provide the tools and, and then they do what they do. Uh, you know, some are, some are catching on faster than others um, or, or want to be engaged in it. Um, so for the... For addressing this problem, it's gonna be more than the city. Um, it's gonna be more bigger, it's bigger than the county and it's bigger than the state. This is a federal issue. All of our cities are plagued with 
um, this devastation. But I think, you know, one of the things that we cannot lose uh, sight of, and I think that Portland's started to come there or has gotten there when you see that uh, businesses are now really supporting the, the houseless measure that's on the ballot, um, which I support because it does create those, um, it, it funds those services that we so desperately need. It's why I want to be at the table of the funding discussions because I've actually been through those services. I know how critical they are and I know when they don't, we don't have them, um, how devastating it is. It broke up my family. Mm. Um, and it's broken up many families and I've had friends die from not having it. So when you have that impact, that's not just words. Those aren't just, those are people that I love. Um, and that's, that's really important. And we can't lose sight of the humanity of our houseless population. Um, these aren't just, this isn't just an issue. These are one person at a time who something happened or a chain of events happened that has them sleeping on a sidewalk. Um, that's not okay. And that's on all of us to lift up and figure out, you know, we need more permanent supportive housing and we need uh, voters to support politicians who are willing to spend the money on it and to do the long-term solutions and not just quick fixes. Uh, it's, it's an all of the above situation and all of us are, are on the hook, but we need leaders who are willing to take the risks and move forward on, um, on the solutions and hopefully our city and our, you know, and the residents will be, uh, see some results and, and understand that this is a really complicated issue. And, and personally, if we don't have some sort of um, health care for all, I don't know how we, you know, really get ourselves completely out of this. Portland has always been a very progressive uh, city as it, as it pertains to climate change and green technology. And as we are finding ourselves in our unique position now, how can Portland continue its progressive approach uh, towards climate change and green technology? It's a great question. Um, so Portland is known to be a green city, uh, but we've fallen pretty far behind in multiple spaces. Uh, we won national global climate action. We won a, an, a global award for our climate action plan. I was proud to be part of the, the uh administration that that wrote that and put it together um, in the Hales administration. And the reality is, is that uh, we, while we're doing some things good, we have a long ways to go. And that's another issue uh, that is not getting addressed with the urgency of now, um, as it should. And we've skated away, we've kind of cruised on our reputation but we are letting so many other cities um, pass us. And I think one of the things that we need to be doing when it comes to our recovery is really looking towards how do we become an economy that is not um, reliant on fossil fuels? And how do we start making our decisions based on the actual cost of pollution and not just the cost of doing nothing? Because we don't have that tabulated into our budgets of like, well, what would it cost if we just kept using the same amount of fossil fuels, how, how does that work? Um, and that's not for your everyday Portlander to have to necessarily take on, this is a systems change. This is how do we transition to a clean energy economy? And if Portland can be at the front of that, that's where we get our economy back up and running, right? Portlanders have the tech, we have the tech expertise, we have the innovation, we have the creativity, we have everything it takes 
Um, we have wind, we have solar, we have all the things uh, to, and you know, Daimler's bringing uh, electric trucks, the manufacturing to Portland next year, and it's gonna be the first freight liners. Um, so we have all of the components for building an economy of scale, transitioning us to a clean energy economy. We have to be, again, it goes back to political will. We have to be willing to make the tough choices and we have to just make that decision. Are we headed that way? Do we trust that if we are the early adopters, we can build an economy and be the ones actually coming out and with the, the things to sell on the marketplace? Or do we want to lag behind and be the, you know, the folks that are just buying from other cities and states? And I don't want to be that. I think Portland should absolutely be up front. So it's political will. Um, I've been running the largest uh, statewide climate campaign for the last three and a half years. Industry is, um, is a formidable uh, force to be reckoned with. And the amount of fossil fuel, uh, rebate uh, giveaways that has already happened along the way for this um, during this crisis. If we even did a little bit, took a little bit of that money and put it towards our clean energy economy, we'd be in a lot better shape. So Portland has a lot to do. The good news is, is we were able to pass an executive order, which has the most broad and sweeping climate protections. Um, and those will help Portland make different choices. And so I think that that's, you know, that's mm -hmm. the good news. There's hope in this. Excellent. Tara, uh, it has been a great interview. Tell people where they can go to learn more about you. So you can go to my website, TaraForPDX.com, T-E-R-A-F-O-R-P-D-X.com. Tara Hurst, Portland City Commission Position 2, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Thanks so much for having me. You got it. Thank you. Thanks.